it is said that the Buddha said, for the purification of mind, for overcoming sorrow and distress, for the end of pain and sadness, for realizing the liberated mind, one should abide ardent, clearly aware, and mindful. The Buddha taught what he had realized for 45 years. And he spoke to all kinds of people, from renunciates to householders, from royalty to merchants to beggars. And some consider that the most important teaching that he offered was the teaching on mindfulness. And when we hear something like what I just read, that it is abiding mindfully that overcomes pain and sorrow, distress, and all of the difficulties and the afflictions of our life. I have to ask you, do you believe that? The Buddha said, if you abide ardent and mindful, you will overcome all that torments you. Whatever it is that torments you. It's a little hard to believe, isn't it? But imagine that it really was true. If somehow you could take this leap of faith, so to speak, and believe it, the first thing you'd have to do is try to find out what mindfulness is all about. Because if mindfulness holds such a promise, such a guarantee, it would be worth investing, as Upandita demanded of Kamala, everything you got. So tonight I want to speak about mindfulness, just so we can begin to get an outline, maybe, of what might be required of us to overcome all that afflicts us in our life. So what is mindfulness? We call this a mindfulness retreat. We ask you to be mindful of the breath. We ask you to be mindful of your movements, of of each step, to, to be mindful of your general activities. But what is it that we're really asking of you? It seems like we know what we mean. But do you know what we mean? Mindfulness means to be aware. To know our experience and know that we know our experience. So that in each moment there is two things happening. There's an experience and there's a knowing of it. to be aware. Mindfulness also has the quality of what is called bare attention. Attending to our experience or attending to the moment, attending to the object of our awareness without comment, without any spin, without any agenda, without any explanation, 
attending bare of any accoutrements. Mindfulness is clear knowing. Clear knowing meaning seeing things as it is. The characteristic of mindfulness is to not float away, to plunge into an object. You know when you throw a stone into a pond, it doesn't float. It goes right to the bottom. If you throw a leaf, a stick, a cork, or most anything else, it floats. Or maybe it just kind of flutters down to the bottom. Mindfulness is not like that. Mindfulness pierces and goes into the object of our experience. This means it is not superficial. You cannot live superficially if you're mindful, but rather you must become intimate with your life, with everything about your life. Your body, your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, your past, your future, your hopes, your joys, sorrows, pain, suffering, sorrow, disappointment, frustration, ambition, intimate. To know them for yourself. To be aware of them when they arise in your moment's experience. Upandita calls it tasting the flavor of life. He says, a life without mindfulness is like food without salt. Kind of bland. The function of mindfulness is to remember. Now, I've heard some teachers say, it's easy to be mindful, it's difficult to remember to be mindful. You know the sitting, the first sitting in the morning, where for the first 15, 10 or 15 minutes, we're telling you what to do, sit quietly, uh, relax the body, pay attention to the breath, notice the in-breath, the out-breath. When we're narrating what to do, it seems pretty easy to do it. And then after 10 minutes, we stop, and 20 minutes later, you hear the bell ring. And in between, sometimes the mind is just kind of drifting, forgetting to be mindful. But it's mindfulness itself that remembers. And I'm sure you've seen in your own sitting and walking, just being here these couple of days, how difficult it is to remember to be mindful. But that is what mindfulness does. It remembers to be present. It remembers this moment. When I first started practicing with Upandita, it was uh, in 1984, and I'd been practicing about nine years, and he came to America for the first time, and I was doing a three-month retreat with him. And I was, I was making very diligent and sincere effort, maybe too much effort. And I was having a very difficult time. I just really wasn't quite getting it. And I was frustrated and probably disappointed and uh, ambitious, and it, was just, it just wasn't working. 
very well. And in the course of the three months, uh, we were being seen every day. And I was following, or I was being uh, interviewed by Upandita. Uh, I was just behind one woman. And uh, Upandita just leaves the door wide open. So well, you're waiting in the hall, and you can hear everything the person in front of you is saying. And so one day in my tormented, frustrated, mm, unsatisfied state of mind, I was standing in the hall waiting for my turn, and I heard this woman so excitedly telling Upandita about how good her practice was and remembering past lives and how dramatic it was and how exciting it was to do this. And, and I was like, remembering past lives? Holy jeez. You know, I was like... So she came out and just kind of floating down the hallway, and, and I went in and did my bows to Upandita, and I just was caught in my frustration, and I just blurted out to him. I said, what are we supposed to be doing here anyway? Remembering our past lives or something? <laughs> and he looked at me so calmly, and he says, no, remembering this life. <laughs> that's all. You just have to remember this life. And that's hard enough. Mindfulness, this awareness, this bare attention, this clear seeing, manifests, appears to us by facing or coming into contact with our experience. Where there is no indulgence, there's no avoidance, there's no dismissing, there's no minimizing, there's just this face-to-face meeting and clear seeing, this is the way it is. Even though we hear the instruction to be mindful, to rest our attention, to try to let things unfold or be as they are without fixing them or adjusting them or changing them or commenting or evaluating or judging, somehow all these agendas creep in to our practice. So it's helpful to identify the common or the frequent mistakes of mindfulness, the agendas that attach themselves to our effort to be mindful. And one common agenda is to get rid of experience we don't like. And somehow this agenda sneaks in And when we discover pain in the body or restlessness in the mind or uh, frustration, somehow we think, if I can just be mindful, a little more mindful or, or more mindful, then it'll go away. That is not the task of mindfulness. The task of mindfulness is to see those experiences for just what they are, when they arise. When you have pain in the body, see it. It's pain in the body. But that asks that you learn how to endure discomfort. Mindfulness is just to see things as they are. To endure things for as long as they last. Not to get rid of them. 
Another agenda that attaches itself to our mindfulness practice is to figure things out. Did you notice how some experience will be happening, and you'll be kind of aware of it, but there's this dual track going on in the mind where we're trying to figure out, now why am I having this experience? Where did this come from? Why am I feeling this? Why am I doing this? Mindfulness doesn't have the agenda to figure out anything. Mindfulness is just to see things as they are. Figuring out is something else. It's an attachment or an accoutrement to mindfulness. Sometimes we try to explain why we're experiencing or how we're experiencing. Or did you ever notice yourself narrating your experience, imagining how you would tell someone about this? Oh, I was at a retreat, had a really good sitting. It was, and we rehearse this, we rehearse the story of our life, how we're going to tell someone. That is not mindfulness. That's rehearsing or narrating. Sometimes we get caught in analyzing. You know, many of us have, have, have done psychotherapeutic work of one sort or another, valuable in their own time and place and with their own purpose. But mindfulness is not analyzing. It's not thinking about. It's not figuring out. It's not deeply, introspectively uh, cogitating on something. It's just seeing this moment as it is without that analysis. Neither is mindfulness to, to own, to own it. You know, sometimes we hear, oh, you should own it. You should own your feelings. You should own your thoughts. You should own your fears. You should own your... Mindfulness doesn't have owning as an agenda. Mindfulness only has clear seeing as its purpose. So we want to be careful when we find ourselves explaining, narrating, uh, dismissing, trying to get rid of, trying to figure out, analyzing or owning experience, and recognize that our mindfulness has become contaminated. And to recognize that and to to work to let go of that extra bit. There's one other habit of mind that we often recognize in practice or it attaches itself to practice, and that is to eternalize our experience. You know, you're sitting and you're trying to pay attention to the breath and, and in the first few days there's a lot of restlessness or sleepiness. And so we're dealing with restlessness and we think, geez, I'm really restless. I'm a restless person. This is going to be a restless retreat. I'm going to be restless for the rest of my life. Or we get angry. Or we, 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 we have a, a memory arise in which we were angry. And we say, wow, I'm really an angry person. And we, we eternalize, we make permanent, we make more solid, we make anger a bigger thing than just what we're experiencing in this moment. It's another mm, contamination, really, of the purity of mindfulness. So when you recognize any of these, you want to be uh, attentive to recognize them, really, and understand that 
this is not pure mindfulness. If mindfulness is bare attention, clear seeing, awareness, what isn't mindfulness? Or what's going on when we're not mindful? What is it that prevents our being mindful? You've had a couple of days. We could do a survey. What is it? What's going on when you're not mindful? Mostly we don't know because we're not mindful enough to recognize it. But let me give you some hints. Sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, confusion, desire, aversion, frustration, disappointment, ambition, judgment, for a beginner, just as a kind of a sampling. But these are habits of mind that are so deeply conditioned and they are so familiar that we, we, we don't pay attention to them anymore. And that's just it. We don't pay attention to them anymore. They are so common and they're so frequent that we think this is the way it's supposed to be. Or this is normal. To be dull, to be sleepy, to be restless and fretful and anxious and fearful. And This is not normal. This is deeply conditioned habits which oppose or obstruct or blind us to mindfulness. And so in our practice of mindfulness, to develop mindfulness, we will confront, we will come to know all of these experiences intimately. And so if you have found yourself in these first two days of practice, frustrated, sleepy, restless, disappointed, um, judgmental, and uh, judging yourself and judging others, that's good. You're being mindful. You're starting to recognize, oh, this is what's going on. But mostly, we judge ourselves when we have this good mindfulness that begins to see these, and we think, I'm not being mindful. You're being very mindful. You didn't know you were experiencing all of those unpleasant states of mind on Thursday. But it's only when you started practicing on Friday that you really started to see how frequently they arise in the mind, how intense they are, how strong they are, how obsessed the mind is with some of these. That's good. That's good practice to begin to see. This is the way it is in this mind. The Buddha said that developing mindfulness is the key, really, to disentangling our lives from suffering and the causes of suffering, from all that torments us. There are many ways that we can apply this mindfulness, this attentive uh, caring, really, that brings us so close to and intimate with our life. One way is through the development of what are called the paramis. Now, many people, um, when they come to intensive retreat or come to a retreat like this, somewhere along the line, they begin to think, how can I take this home? How can I, how can I bring this into my life? 
how can I, I mean, you can't take silence. If, if you go home and try to make everybody in your house be quiet while you meditate, good luck. Or, you know, you try to walk slow on your way to work, or, or you'll never get there. So it's, it's obvious that it's not taking the format of a retreat into your life. But what is it that we want to take into our life? Or what is it that in our life, how is it that we can develop mindfulness in our life? I mentioned these paramis. The paramis are the forces of purity in our mind. They are the qualities of mind that get developed on the path of awakening. And these qualities of mind are not particularly Buddhist or spiritual even, and they're certainly not very esoteric. They're very common qualities of heart and mind that we all know and have, like generosity, patience, determination, loving-kindness, equanimity, understanding, truthfulness, living in harmony, determination, renunciation, letting go. You recognize those words. You recognize those qualities in yourself at times. You recognize those qualities in others. And when you find someone in your life that has any one or some of these qualities really as their default setting, someone who's just loving most of the time, someone who's just very patient, someone who's committed to the truth and always speaks the truth. Even one of those qualities brought to some mature development in a heart, in a mind, is noticeable. But it's these qualities of mind that are the foundation for liberating insight. These are the qualities of mind that we can develop in every activity of our life. Raising our families, doing our jobs, being neighbors, exercising our civic responsibilities. We need these paramis. And to develop these paramis, to remember these paramis, to to move toward making these qualities of mind the default setting of our mind, takes mindfulness. We need to remember. That's what mindfulness is. To remember to be patient. To remember to be understanding. To remember to be loving. We have the potential within us. But the potential is not yet realized. That's why we practice. That's why we practice at home, at work, in the grocery line, driving our cars, whatever you do. There's the opportunity for developing mindfulness and these qualities of mind. There's one, there are many benefits, of course, from developing mindfulness. Stress management, uh, 
understanding uh, emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence? We have emotions, guys. And how to be intelligent about them takes training. To, to, to understand the difference between being angry, which is indulging, thinking about our anger, which is intellectualizing, and being mindful of anger. Huge difference between being angry, thinking about our anger, and being mindful of anger. And the difference is being mindful. Because with mindfulness, we begin to step back from this entanglement in our anger. And it's not only anger, it's any emotion. Sadness, fear, frustration, disappointment, ambition, whatever it is that you're caught by, to name it, to be able to identify it, to name it, and to step back, to just disentangle a little bit, dissolve that glue of identification. It's mindfulness that is the solvent of that glue of identification. So we develop mindfulness through the development of the paramis. We also develop mindfulness through careful attention to our intentions. We speak and act all day long. And every time we speak and every time we act, we're motivated by something to do that. If we're not clear about our motivation, we will perpetuate suffering and the causes of suffering in our life. Because our habits are so deeply conditioned. But it's mindfulness that exposes that moment before we act that allows us to check our intention. Where are we coming from? when we want to say this, when we want to do this? Is it coming from a, a place of caring and compassion and consideration for ourselves and others? Or is it coming from a place of, I want what I want when I want it because I want it? And if we're not mindful, we won't see that space. We won't see that place. And so it's the development of mindfulness in our life that exposes our motivation, that brings attention to our intention. Mindfulness has this interesting quality. We say to be mindful is to come into direct contact with our experience, 
to become to come face to face with it without any spin, without any agenda, without any explanation, and to just see it as it is. And that takes some steadiness of mind. But that steadiness of mind develops into what is called straightness of mind, where the mind that is mindful sees things straight on, not at a slant, not at a glance, but it sees things as they are without any deception. You know, we are, we are very willing to tell ourselves a story that isn't true about the way things are for us. And much of our non-mindful life is just that, telling ourselves a story of how we hope things are or were or explain how things were. And it's not straight. It's got this spin on it that makes us look a little better than we might have been or a little clearer than we might have been, a little more benevolent than we might have been or than we are. And when we come to a retreat like this and we start developing this straightness of mind, seeing things without spin, often what happens, not for everyone and not all the time, but often, there is what I call personal history review. And things that we've done in our life where we were less than noble come up for review. You know, things we said, people that we hurt, uh, things that we did out of carelessness, and we see them again and again and again until we see it straight. Oh, this is the way it really was. And it's a painful process of, you know, kind of taking the spin off of our life and seeing how it really was when we felt hurt or when we acted to hurt others. But this is an essential part of the path of purification, of awakening, to, to, to really develop the capacity to be straight and the ability to endure straightness. We say that mindfulness acts as an inward mentor. Mindfulness is a quality that guides us to make the right choice. And the right choice is a choice that doesn't cause yourself or others harm. And when we review our life or when the personal history review takes place or as it's taking place, we see what we've done and what we've said that has caused harm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.